Hi there and thanks for joining us. On today's episode, three small cork companies on the up. One keeping kids fit, another providing real-time translation and another that's offering a shared space for creatives. I'm Jonathan Healy and this is Red Business. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast. Now, getting kids motivated and keeping them active has become increasingly challenging during the winter months when everybody was locked down. But my next guest is on the way to rescue parents. Claire McSweeney, founder of Cool Play. How are you? I'm great, Jonathan. It's great to be here with you today. Now, Cool Play is spelled in a very cool way, if you don't mind me saying. It's it's K-U-U-L Play. Tell us about it. (laughs) <laughs> I'm glad you think so. Well, actually, we were initially named last year We Play. Um, our work arose out of when we made a digital pivot during COVID to support the primary schools. So we were called We Play. And as we evolved throughout the year, we really wanted to see what the kids thought of the program. So we checked in with the kids uh, with our pilot before Christmas and the teachers, and we discovered that they thought the program was a lot of fun, uh, very cool and interesting. And so we really listened to what they had to say, and we adopted the name Cool Play. Now, K-U-L is actually the Swedish for fun and enjoyment, and K-U-U-L, the way we spell it, in the US, where we also have a pilot running, uh, it actually means like super cool. So okay. we, really felt, <laughs> we really felt it embodies the essence of our program. With, yeah, which I, is now, really I, fun. I'm, I'm very old and nerdy, so I don't understand the spelling of it, but I'll take your word for it. We <laughs> have had a real challenge. You talked about pivoting during COVID. Keeping kids active has become really tough in the last few months. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we already have a a global children's physical inactivity problem, you know, Currently, pre-COVID, 17% of primary school children here in Ireland um, are active enough to be healthy. So that's like less than one in five children here meeting the daily activity guidelines of 60 minutes of activity a day. You know, and that was pre-COVID. And as we both know, like COVID and restrictions, you know, um, sport and activity was one of the first casualties, you know, with many avenues cancelled. So it's been exacerbated, definitely. Right. So how does it work then? How do you get kids up off the couch and get them having fun with PE and and, and making sure that what you're doing is accessible to kids of all shapes and sizes? Absolutely. So Cool Play is a learning platform for PE that really develops children's physical literacy uh, with a unique methodology that's curriculum aligned to PE and that's really built on science. So what's special about Cool Play is, is its inclusiveness. It's exactly that. You know, we found that many children who already consider themselves maybe non-sporty, those that don't really engage in PE, they especially thrive on Cool Play um, because it allows them to participate, learn and develop in PE alongside the children who are very sporty. I mean, I've seen it myself, uh, you know, my own kids. Uh, like, not everybody loves running. Not everybody, you know, wants to become uh, a muscle-bound Egypt uh, with big, massive muscles. But they do enjoy running around. They do enjoy playing. How important is play to all of this? Uh, rather than just having a strict format like we used to have back in my day, you jumped the hobby horse, you fell off the far side and you did it again. 
Absolutely, you know, and that's exactly it. You know, for a lot of kids, their relationship with PE and sport isn't always a positive one. And so play is essential because it, it embodies the essence of what it's about for kids, because the number one reason kids don't enjoy PE or drop out of sport is because it's not fun. And so the term in the science community that we have for this is called physical literacy. And really simply put, it's just the ability to move basic movement skills and then developing children's confidence and motivation and empowering them with the joy of movement to be active for life. So you really hit the nail on the head there. This isn't about making Olympic champions out of anybody. It's really giving them the tools and the joy to be active and lead an active life because we know that kids who are active do better in life. Yeah, well, it's very obvious they do that. Now, your background, you're pretty sporty yourself. Uh, you are a former <laughs> national athletics champion, aren't you? And an all-American athlete. So what was your sport of choice, Claire? Yeah, uh, I was a track athlete. So I started out as a sprinter and um, I found my forte in middle distance running and the 4x4 relay. Okay, and, and you went on to enjoy that at a very high level by the sounds of it. But you, you saw coaching at both ends of the extreme. You saw the intense coaching that's needed for that level and uh, you, you saw the kids who were being left behind as well. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I was given huge opportunities and I just chose to 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 pursue it to that level. Um, and I suppose through my work in working in elite sport in the US with professional teams, you know, I saw other athletes who decided and to pursue it. But it was the joy and the love of it. And I think what, you know, with the master's in exercise science and my background in this area, I really wanted to transfer um, the mind and body, um, I suppose, skill sets that these athletes that have um, to children, you know, and and show them, give them the opportunity, you know, to develop that positive relationship Mm. to be active. Uh, You you work a lot with schools, don't you? Um, And schools, it's been very hard to do this right when they don't have the kids in front of them. Hopefully it'll ease out over the next while. But do you still see a role for yourself post lockdown in helping schools be creative and how they teach PE? 100%. So this particular platform is ideal during COVID and absolutely post-COVID as well. So through the learning platform, it empowers the teachers to be able to lead the PE class through instructional, gamified, interactive learning content. It fosters that environment for the children's motivation. And so it takes the the planning and the chaos out of PE for teachers, allowing them to really um, approach it in an integrated (coughs) well-being approach. Um, So we're considering really developing both the mind and the body in PE. So, I mean, if you can picture a 10 year old little boy or girl who believes that they're not sporty or they're not good enough or, you know, they're the kid that always gets caught, you know, in the game of tag and they're hanging at the back of PE. Um, like, it's no wonder that the, you know, these children and there's a lot of them, you know, uh, who have low confidence and low motivation to join in. Um, and I've worked with over 2000 kids uh, in primary schools and in over 50 schools, actually. And I've seen this on a daily basis. So when their teacher uses cool play as a support tool, the child then goes on a journey of discovery where their self-belief actually shifts. And we've seen this, you know, in our studies with the pilots um, and the feedback from the teachers afterwards, where the child, the children are telling us like, 
well, actually, I can do this. And actually, I really like this. And that leads to that behavior shift, you know, where where they become more active outside of PE. And one of the unique things about this platform is the children can access it at home with their families and their parents. So the learning is being taken home and they can communicate back what they're doing back to the teacher. And, okay. you know, from our pilot, the teachers were absolutely astounded because the children were, were quite happy to do all of this activity and, and, and as almost like as homework, you know, but not homework. I- it sounds like you're really empowering the kids, which is exactly how you should do it uh, to get them up off the couch. And fingers crossed that uh, we'll all get back to moving around outside and they'll get back to their sports and they'll get back to doing PE, using the cool play rules uh, it, it, together as opposed to doing it virtually in the next little while. Claire McSweeney, uh, the website is coolplay. That's K-U-U-L play.com. Good luck here. Good luck in the state sides with your plan over there. And thanks so much for joining us at Red Business, Claire. Thanks, Jonathan. Red Business. All that's best about business in Cork. Next up, we're going to talk to the man behind a not-for-profit shared workshop in the heart of Cork City's Docklands. Um, Fergus, Jesus, Fergus, where's your surname? Fergus Summers. Fergus Summers, how are you? I'm very good, Jonathan. Lovely to talk to you. Thanks very much for joining us. You're down in the Marina Industrial Park. Well, you are at the best of times. Obviously, circumstances being what they are, you're not there at the moment. But... uh, I love the idea that you're bringing local furniture making back to a location that was just the heart of of industry in Cork for decades. Absolutely, and um, yeah, it's it's a really nice place to be. Actually, the Marina Park, you know, it has such history for Cork City. Uh, you, you can almost feel the the enterprise and the the, the work that was done there oozing out of the walls. Um, but uh, it's it's quite a part of a team that's been going on in, in a lot of cities across Europe that uh, you know post. Uh, industrial spaces are being reused by by artisans and um, uh, and groups like that to to sort of reinvigorate cities and and bring creativity and a bit of color and uh, and that to, to to back into their cities. Um, so so it's a really nice location. Yeah, it is. And and the what you're doing there is great as well. Tell us exactly what the what the project is all about. Well, the uh, Benchspace as an organization was established to to equip and support graduates coming out of uh, creative courses in Cork City. Uh, uh, so we're talking about kind of making these disciplines like furniture making, jewelry, glasswork, metal. Um, so my own day job, I work for Cork ETV teaching furniture making. And um, it's something that uh, some of us had recognized for a while that, you know, we, we were training a lot of people very creative talented skilled people and once they left the educational environment with all its resources they were often found you know that the, the real world was a very difficult place to, to to navigate you know they needed a whole new set of skills now to try and make themselves visible and to to, to find work and so you know building a career as a, a creative person is 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 challenging enough um uh, in 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 Cork without some some um, support you know uh, mm. people often become isolated and then it's kind of typical of craft design workers that they do so much work you know in small studios away from the public yeah, eye yeah I mean it's not it's not a collective experience because you, you are kind of on your own using your artistic ability by bringing them together by bringing people of a similar disposition together in a single location what are the benefits? Well there are a lot of benefits like um, for, for people who find themselves in that situation wanting to, to start and, and, and make a career and I think that's that's the way to think of it you know as, as, as careers as like micro enterprises the the barriers uh, particularly say for for furniture making the one I know best myself is, is is space and equipment is very expensive and it's a big uh, roll of the dice early in your career to try and 
uh, to take on those costs um, when you're not fully confident that you can deliver the income on the other side. So uh, the immediate benefit of something like Benchspace is allowing the use of a shared set of equipment and a shared space, which, uh, which means we can, people who come to us, we can offer them space and facilities, a business address, you know, all of that for a single you know, monthly bill. And yeah. allow them to get on with the business of of of, uh, of making their reputation. I mean, for, for for people who are involved in boring office work, such as myself, um, you know, you, you have an office and you can go and you can have your meetings. But for this creativity, um, to bring it together, I mean, effectively, is bench space a little bit like Republic of Work, except for craftspeople? It's very like that. Yeah, exactly. And um, it it you know what it does, apart from the you know the physical things of the of the space and the equipment, you know, you're immediately into a community of people who are like-minded and facing the same challenges. And there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of peer support, a lot of peer learning, uh, the whole thing of just becoming exposed by being in the, the, the bench space space in the middle of the city in a commercial environment, rather than tucked down a laneway someplace in the countryside. Um, the, you know, those kind of intangible benefits are, are, are huge. And they're really the difference between making a go of it or, or sort of disappearing into um, mm. you know anonymity so what kind of good stuff is coming out of bench base already i mean what have you seen coming through in terms of of manufacturers makers and so on well the i suppose it is a, a, an artisanal type of, of aspect uh, of uh, uh activity so say what if you were to come to bench base at the moment what you'd see is uh, our, our our first unit uh, which we established in 2017 is, is a woodwork shop so it's, it's got woodworking equipment and it's got Bays for for five makers who can establish in there. So we've had a, a turnover of people who have gone out of there, uh, who are now running their own small enterprises. Um, and more recently, now we have some jewelers and goldsmiths who, who joined us in the last year or so, and uh, we're growing that community as well now. And um, and I suppose I think you know, like like a lot of businesses now, things have slowed down a lot with with COVID and that. But as soon as we as soon as we get over this patch and the restrictions lift a bit, we, we have other disciplines that we want to roll out like uh, like textiles and metalwork and and then on into some, some digital technologies. So, you obviously, your background, you were a teacher as well, weren't you? I still am. Uh, the as you, as you mentioned at the outset, uh, Benchspace is run as a social enterprise. So uh, up until quite recently, it's been run primarily as a voluntary uh, activity. But uh, and I suppose maybe we talk about that in a moment. Thanks to the Leo, you know, we're we're putting that on a professional footing, uh, um, more and more, and and we should see some big big improvements, big step change in in the next six months. So tell us a little bit about that support then, because obviously local enterprise, local enterprise week is a big thing around now. Uh, what have the Leo done that is of great assistance to organisations such as Benchspace? Well, uh, to talk about our, our personal experience, like the, the Leo have been involved at a, at a very early stage. Uh, the, the Leo in the Cork City, uh, originally uh, under Adrian Rogers, she personally took a, a great interest. It was very supportive, and uh, I mean, they you know the, the formal programs that they have, such as the priming grants and the online trading voucher and the mentor scheme. We've used all of those, but it's the um, again, it's kind of the intangibles. You know, it's the it's the uh, someone at, at the very early on to say, no, this isn't a mad idea. This actually could work. You know, when somebody with a lot of experience tells you that, then that's, that's those kinds of things are very, very uh, important at an early stage. So the, the big uh, contribution I think is um, that, uh, you know, we were encouraged and advised and supported to apply for Enterprise Ireland funding, which we were successful in doing. And, um, and the benefits of that now should be accruing very, very shortly. Uh, we have, 
uh, about two weeks ago. Uh, we have now a full-time manager, Maeve Murphy, who started uh, under that that grant. And uh, as soon as we get past the, the COVID restrictions, we, we have a capital grant that we can draw and start to improve uh, and, and, re- and improve our offering. You know, what so you're going, to, you're, you're going to hit the ground running. At the bottom line, everything that's produced there has to be sold. Is, is every artist and maker responsible for selling their own work or is there somewhere we can collectively go and view everything? Well, at the moment, it's a bit like that, but there are uh, there's another uh, organization, Cork Craft and Design, which is similar social enterprise. And uh, so, in fact, you'll see that this summer now, a lot of events are organized as part of Cork Craft Month. Um, they also have a retail space in the city in, in the mills in Douglas. Again, they're they're pivoting now uh, from uh, uh, in, in, in the COVID conditions to to move online and, um, and did that very successfully last year during Craft Month. So those opportunities are there. Um, there are other ways as well, you know, there's project work and commission work, that kind of thing that interests um, uh, some makers. So, uh, you know, we, we'll be actively pushing more projects like that, like the Parklift project that we're doing for, for Cork City. Uh, those are also opportunities, you know, for, for makers to, to learn on the job and okay. learn their skills and, and get connected. Fergus, it sounds like a great initiative. Not every business is the straightforward up and down. This is a great way of helping out people who are creative and coming together and, and just giving them that space in which to work with confidence. Benchspacecork.ie is the website address uh, if you want to get any more details on that. But Fergus Summers of Benchspace, thanks so much for joining us on Red Business and best of luck to you and all your colleagues. Thank you very much, Jonathan. The only show in town for Cork business, Red Business. Now, my next guest has established a translation company that has developed software as a service for matching translators with companies. It's become increasingly challenging to get the right kind of translation done at the right time, but Translit is coming to the rescue. Alex Chernenko, how are you? I'm very good, Jonathan. Thank you for having me today. Tell me a little bit about Translit. When did you set it up? Well, we started in 2009. Uh, I was working as a translator interpreter and I was helping individuals uh, translating their personal documents and helping them to communicate where they go into hospitals, guard stations. So, you know, working as a freelancer and then moving into starting my own business. Uh, and from then we kind of grew to three office locations and a team of 20 people and now uh, serving both individuals, businesses and even government bodies providing translation interpreting services. It's very much a personal service, though, isn't it? You need a human. You need somebody there to translate in real time. Software hasn't quite made it to the point at which it can do real time translation to the standard required. Yeah, and when when you, when, when we talk about translation, uh, we we have to make uh, for 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 the listeners very clear that there is translation and interpreting. So translation has a good bit of technology with machine translation, where the interpretation side of things still requires human, and that's where translate actually. Is, is position itself. We are, we are more focused on human-to-human voice uh, translation. We still do written and translation, but we actually specialize in voice services. And yes, indeed, it still requires uh, human-to-human connection. So what does Translate do? So, uh, like, who are your main customers, if I can put it that way? Well, if you if you start with, uh, with individuals, that could be anybody who translates documents or cannot speak English English language, which is, of course, spoken in Ireland, and they need to speak whether they're their doctor or uh, welfare officer or policeman, doesn't matter. So we, we help to provide a written and spoken communication. And when you come to clients, it could be a solicitor talking to their clients, it could be a GP, or it could be a government body who has, uh, you know, 
non-non English speaking class talking to to their employees and staff and uh then would be conferences, event organizers who have international delegates who, who want to participate, but again, they don't understand the language and they want to listen it in their own language. So it would be so, across so, different industries. Yeah, and you presumably have a, a bank of translators, if I can call it that way, to, to pull from. How many people do you work with? Well, as, as of now, we have more than 3,000 translators, interpreters in our database. Okay, so that's a lot of people covering how many languages? Uh, more than 120 languages and when you okay. when you look at different language pairs i would say it could be a couple of hundred <laughs> yeah now basically alex i'm seeing why you need software to manage all of this because if you've got 120 different languages uh you need to be able to go through that quite quickly how does the new software product work yeah so to, to tell you how the idea started uh, the world moves online towards marketplaces so you you want to order a taxi before you used to read many uh, taxi agencies and they would connect you with the drivers and then up uh, apps become popular so you just pick up your mobile phone and you would uh, press a button and a taxi would arrive you would do the same thing with food deliveries but that hasn't happened to the language industry so we came up with this idea to actually create a pizza-like or taxi-like experience for somebody who who's going to a conference or who is going to their doctor and they just order an interpreter without having to read 10 agencies get quotes and and you know go through this hassle uh, so the idea was basically to build a software that would match interpreters with the clients directly that's where it okay. started and, and, and it, it kind of grew from there so uh, what has the customer response been since you've gone to market well, we launched in, in November last year, and since then we already have 2,500 users. So uh, we have about the 2,200 interpreters already registered, and they're based not just in Ireland, but overseas. And then we have clients and other language service providers. So the users are growing. Uh, the number of uh, jobs is only getting started now. So we focused on the user growth. We haven't had many transactions yet on the platform, so it's only going to get in traction now because of the remote environment. And I believe that um, COVID actually were more of an opportunity for us to actually have the users transition into the online and remote. Mm. Um, why set it up in Cork, Alex? That's the real question. It's a, it's a business that's it's on the up and uh, certainly you can, you can see how it'll become very, very big. But uh, why launch it from here? Well, I, I moved to Cork in 12, uh, 2012. Uh, and we can open up an office there. And from 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 the, I, I think actually uh, the company growth started with the Cork base. We had office in Limerick in Dublin, but when 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 we set up a base, we began a relationship with local business. And actually, our investor is from Cork, so we we were able to secure an investment deal. We were able to secure uh, two government tenders pretty much after launching uh, the office in Cork. So it's been like, and, and of course, the local enterprise office, they've been much of a help for us. So with the help but I'd of- imagine your, your ambition though was rather global because uh, this is the type of product that could spread quite easily. It would work in different markets. Indeed. So the ambition was that we, we start in Ireland, uh, then go to UK, but we already see more users outside of Ireland than actually inside. And yes, it has a huge potential. We, we are uh, gro- growing our user base and we are essentially improving the, the technology. To, to add one point, so when we c- created the software, it was a booking and scheduling. And then everything went remote, but our technology did not provide actual service delivery. So think of it this way. It's like you can book somebody, but the actual service has to use a third-party technology. And 
as of January, which was just last month, last month, we actually launched a second technology to be able to provide interpreting directly to the clients. So we now have two pieces. It's you can book and schedule interpreters, but you can now also receive the service uh, via a second piece of technology that we just launched a month ago. So we are adding okay. these features to to kind of respond the way the the world is moving. So people can find out more by going to the website, which is translit.ie. That's T-R-A-N-S-L-I-T dot I-E. Alex, it's a fantastic company, uh, a great idea that has come from relatively humble beginnings, but is definitely heading in the right direction in 2021. Absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us on Red Business. Jonathan, thanks a lot. It was a pleasure. My thanks, as always, to all of my guests. Don't forget you can download every episode of Red Business from redextra.ie. Myra Hayes-Goff was the producer, and we will catch you on the next one. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast.